Apollo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. What an interesting day. Transformative elections, both locally and across the country. You've got the Rittenhouse case that continues, all sorts of stuff to discuss. Where should we start? Oh, yes, the press conference with Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. If you are just tuning in, Aaron Rodgers has tested positive for COVID-19, which means he will be out of, he will not be eligible to play the game against Kansas City on, on Sunday. Okay, maybe out longer, don't know. The Packers are in a bind, though, because earlier this week, they're third string quarterback he also Kurt Ben Kurt who was on like their practice squad he also tested positive for COVID so he's out so that leaves the Packers with only one quarterback that would be Jordan Love on the roster that's why Matt LaFleur is saying they obviously have to find somebody to bring in so I guess the question is anybody out there can can throw the football well maybe you want to send in your resume the larger problem is hey what happens to Jordan Love anything if he ends up testing positive or has some sort of close contact what, what's going to happen to him clearly COVID is going through the, the Packers and they're having to deal with it okay that that's one of the issues but of course since this is Aaron Rodgers since he is such an important player and since uh, it's just the way Aaron Rodgers approaches life this is a much more complicated story than than him just coming down with with COVID because well back in August one of the questions that was asked to him directly were, was, have you been vaccinated? Because there's all sorts of different rules between people who are vaccinated and people who aren't vaccinated. And we'll get into that in a minute. But in the text of the press conference, he was asked August 26th, have you been vaccinated against COVID-19? And his response was, yeah, I've been immunized. And then he went on to say there's a lot of conversations around it, around the league, a lot of guys who've made statements, owners who've made statements. There's guys on the teams that haven't been vaccinated. I think it's a personal decision. I'm not going to judge those guys. Um, there's guys who've been vaccinated and contracted COVID-19. So it's an interesting issue. Um, I think we're going to see it played out the entire season. I don't know about the testing schedule, et cetera, et cetera. But clearly... If if you look and, and this is something that you if you, you practice law for a while, you, you end up dealing occasionally with witnesses who kind of weasel on things. And I mean, the question was, have you been vaccinated? And his answer is, yeah, yeah, I've been immunized. Well, immunized and vaccinated are not the same thing. And it is now coming out and being reported that Aaron Rodgers was, in fact, not vaccinated. Now, immunized. It's a little bit unclear as to what that means. Does immunized mean he had COVID and considers himself to be immune because he's got the antibodies? 
does immunized mean that he was taking alternative forms of medicine and considered himself to be immunized because of that? All, all those are sort of open questions that are out there. But it is being reported, and Matt LaFleur can't acknowledge it, that he was, in fact, not vaccinated. Now, this raises a number of issues because, for example, if you are unvaccinated, forget immunized, if you are unvaccinated, the NFL has a much stricter group of protocols that you have to follow than rather if you are vaccinated. For example, unvaccinated individuals must be tested for COVID every day at the team facility. If a player misses even one day of testing, they will be required to test negative for COVID for five straight days before re-entering the facility. Unvaccinated free agents must also test negative, etc. Unvaccinated players must wear masks at all times in the facility. They cannot gather in groups larger than three players and on the road are prohibited from congregating, visiting or mingling with individuals outside of the traveling party once they have arrived in the game city. Unvaccinated individuals are subject to fines if they break COVID protocols. This can include anything from failing to wear a mask in the facility or going to an indoor concert or house party with more than 15 people, which, of course, raises questions about this big Halloween party that they had. You know, if if Aaron Rodgers was, in fact, unvaccinated, well, that party that he attended was supposed to have less than 15 people. So there's all these questions that are out there uh, about it. And, well, here, here's um, Mike Florio is, of course, you know, one of the commentators who is not a fan of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they, they've had kind of a, a running feud that's been going on for a couple years. But here's here's um, Mike Florio earlier this morning about this. Um, his comments are he's been run- he's talking about Rodgers. He's been running a scam, a con. He's been lying to everyone or at least creating the false impression that he's vaccinated and he's not. And I think this all goes back to his hypersensitivity. He does not want to be criticized. So he didn't want to get the same treatment that guys like Cole Beasley and Kirk Cousins and Carson Wentz have gotten. So he created the impression that he was vaccinated when he's isn't. He deliberately staked out the position that he thought would result in the least scorn and criticism from the media. And most of the media were my were of the mind that you should get vaccinated. So this all goes back to his sensitivity. He's so sensitive that he's sensitive about being called sensitive. He hates being criticized to the point where he was willing to create the false impression that he was vaccinated so he would not be criticized for choosing not to be vaccinated. Rogers is a big, fat liar. That's what Mike Florio says. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think there's a couple issues you know, to, to unpack here. First of all, the, the NFL does not require people to get vaccinated. You, you can you can choose this other route. Now, clearly, they make it extremely pain- difficult. That, that's what they're trying to do. They, they want to encourage people to get vaccinated. So if you choose not to be vaccinated, you have to go through all these requirements. You've got to get tested every day. You've got to wear a mask. You've got to do things. Whether the Packers follow that protocol or not, we, we just we do not know. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they did with Aaron Rodgers if he was, in fact, unvaccinated. Then there's the other question about Aaron Rodgers' arguably misrepresenting his status to the general public. 
And I think it's fair. There's no question. You can look at what he said at this press conference when you're asked, have you been vaccinated? And he says, yeah, um, I've been immunized, which are two different things. And then nobody pushes on him. Well, have you been vaccinated? Everybody assumed that when he said vaccinated, that he was using that um, interchangeably with the term immunized. But they're really not the same thing. Okay, let's open up the phone lines. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this make you think less of Rogers? I, I guess that that's kind of the bottom line of all this. He, he's got COVID. Lots of people get COVID. Okay, that that's it. He wasn't vaccinated, apparently. That's a lot of people are still not vaccinated. They they end up making that choice. And assuming he followed the NFL's protocols, assuming the Packers followed followed the protocols, um, this is just the consequence that you have. But does all this, the I think it is fair to say at best Aaron Rodgers was weaselly if he is in fact unvaccinated, and that's what all the reports are, he was weaselly when responding to the press back in in August, because he certainly created the impression in the general public that he was vaccinated. All right. Does this affect the way you view Aaron Rodgers, or is this, hey, this could just happen to anybody? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I think the decision to be vaccinated is up to Aaron Rodgers. But I do think the fact that he clearly, assuming he is in fact unvaccinated, the fact that he clearly weaseled about it makes you... Again, wonder what's going on in this guy's mind. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of our texters actually sent the same thing that I first thought of when I was, I was just saying the kind of the, the weaseling, again, assuming Aaron Rodgers was not vaccinated, assuming that's the case, and that's what the reports are, the, the, the impression he certainly gave in August when asked a direct question was that he had been. But when you parse it, you see, no, you know, he, he didn't ever say he was vaccinated. He said, he said, are you, in response to the question, are you vaccinated? He said, yeah, I, I, I've been immunized or I'm immunized, which isn't the same thing. It is. I was thinking the same thing. Remember back in the Bill Clinton era when, um, you know, uh, when the response was, well, it depends on what your definition of is, is very, very similar to that. Let's start with John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, John. Well, <laughs> I just wanted to bring up something that I haven't heard anyone say in I I observe it every single game, and that is that we were told uh, earlier today that uh, Rogers was not vaccinated, and therefore that he has been treated as a person who is not vaccinated and has to follow those special rules. Right. Well, every single game, at the end of every game, uh, I see an endless line of players from both teams Hugging each other, including Rogers, I see this every week. It drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, cheek to cheek, yeah, <laughs> every week. How can why? I mean, they're doing everything but kissing strangers on the field. I, I. I, I just can't understand that, and I'd like to hear what other people think about well, that. No, they, they, I mean that. that thanks. For, I mean that is one of the questions that I have, John. In all seriousness, which is that I. I 
when, when this story first broke, one of the things I did is I pulled up the various protocols that the NFL has, and they treat vaccinated people differently than they treat unvaccinated people. And that's why I started off the segment by going through some of the rules for unvaccinated people. And they're very onerous, testing every day, having to wear you know masks um, in crowd, not being able to associate with more than three people, um, not supposed to go to social events that contain more than 15. And I think that is a fair question question about, you know, the, the whole thing. If, in fact, Aaron Rodgers was unvaccinated and appears he, he was, were these rules, you know, being followed? Was he wearing the masks? I'd, and just to your point, I, I guess I don't know enough about the protocols to know whether if you're unvaccinated after the game, you can go up and give a bear hug to other players and get in really close contact situations. Don't know if that's a violation. But, yeah, you're right. He clearly wasn't wearing a mask with those things. But, you know, the big question to me is, you know, how what what if anything does this do to to Rogers? Is is this one well, you know, it's nobody's business whether he was vaccinated or not. That's his own choice and he had no obligation to answer the question in the first place. Is he selfish um for not getting vaccinated because of what this does to the team? Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Interesting text. Here's one. Jeff, it's none of the public's damn business. I'm not an A-Rod fan, but I like him a little more now. Mind your own business, people. He has a right to decide what's best for him. See, that there's an, that's what's so interesting about, to me, this whole story. Because it's, right, you don't have to be vaccinated. And and while I am, in fact, vaccinated, I'm, I'm one of these people who have, you know, opposed vaccine mandates as a general rule, although I do think employers have the right to do it. And you have a right to decide if you want to work there or not. In this particular case, though, to me, it's not whether Rogers got vaccinated or not. Now, some people might think it's a selfish decision to not get vaccinated. But but I, I agree with the basic premise that that's an individual decision that you get to make. And I, I also agree that on the one hand, maybe it's nobody's business. But to me, what's interesting about this story is back in August, when directly asked that question, Rogers's response wasn't, it's none of your damn business. Rogers' response wasn't, my personal health decisions are my personal health decisions, and I'm not sharing it. I'm not required to, which he isn't. He said the question directly was, are you vaccinated? And he said, yeah, I, I'm immunized. Okay, and clearly trying to give the and create the impression that he was, in fact, vaccinated. That, to me, is is where this becomes, again, more interesting. Not should he have, shouldn't he have. Obviously, at the same time, if you make the decision not to be vaccinated, you have to assume that you follow all the protocols. We don't know if that was the case or not. But he clearly, at best, misled people when he chose to answer that question. That's that's what I think makes this an interesting story. And more than just a a player test positive for covid, he's out for the next game. If he had said back in August, it's none of your damn business. Okay, that that's fine. That would have led to more questions and things like that. But he, he clearly created the impression that he was, in fact, vaccinated uh, by sort of using kind of weasel words. Yes, he says, yeah said, I, I'm immunized. And, of course, people didn't follow up on that. And maybe they, they learned with Aaron Rodgers, you, you should. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to uh, Dave. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good morning. Hi, Dave. Hello. Yeah. yeah hi. Um, well, 
couple things come to mind. One, I don't know what the Packers have, what the leg they have to stand on in the league, but I think they'd set a great example if they docked his pay for these two games. I don't know where they're at. And there's a, a saying real quick, and then I'll get off. The saying goes like this. When you're dead, you don't know you're dead. It only hurts other people. The same thing happens when you're stupid, and okay. that goes to the whole vaccine equation. So you think he was just—you think he was being selfish toward the, for the teammates and the fans when he made the decision not to get vaccinated? I do, and I think it's selfish for anybody. I'm tired of being polite. I mean, this is good for society. The one guy just said Aaron Rodgers should do what's best for him. What's best for him and everybody is to get vaccinated. You know, they, we all got vaccinated for polio. We didn't. Put up a fight about it. It's ridiculous. Okay. Well, thanks. I mean, that, I, I, I don't want to. I got to tell you honestly, honestly, Dave, I'm just so tired of the whole vaccination versus non-vaccination thing. And that's the, to me, that's not the most interesting aspect of the story. The more interesting aspect. Well, but although I mean, I, I do acknowledge when you're part of a we're a team, we're in contact with folks. Would it have been easier to do this? Um, yeah, I guess to that extent, I understand. But to me, the bigger question is, was this misleading? And did then the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, did they follow all these protocols? I, I, there's this big Halloween party. Everybody's talking about it. When is John Wick? I love the John Wick movies. When is John Wick? Okay, well, if he was in fact unvaccinated, the NFL rules are you're not supposed to be at a house party with more than 15 people. Now, I don't know who was at, at that party. Maybe it was a small party, but th- those are the, the sorts of things. And certainly nothing that Aaron Rodgers has done since the start of the season uh, has created an impression that he wasn't vaccinated, that he was wearing the mask, that he wasn't around large numbers of people. Now, maybe that's in fact true, and maybe that was just something that was able to be kept kind of um, on the down low for the, the season and nobody caught on to it. Don't know, 855-616-1620. But it's more like just the kind of weaseling with the interview. For some reason to me, that that's like the biggest thing. And, of course, because the NFL doesn't require people to be vaccinated. So he, he was following the rules when he did it. Did he follow all the other rules after that? Well, I guess we'll find out. Let's talk to Richard. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, a couple points. One, with your saying that he's weasley with his response of immunized versus vaccinated, that's just, again, an example of Rogers thinking he's the smartest person in the room all the mm-hmm. time. And second, as far as you, you said earlier that you didn't know if it was anybody else's business whether he was vaccinated. Well, I think it is because let's say the other 10 people, 10 guys in the huddle are vaccinated, but they have to go home to mm-hmm. a child or a loved one who's immunocompromised and he passes the crap on to them. So I think it's everybody's business when somebody is vaccinated or not. So Well, I, th- I mean, I, 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 no, I appreciate I guess, I, again, but I mean, the, the rules of the NFL don't require him to be vaccinated. They do require him, though, to have all these other protocols that you have to do. And I, I guess so it's not like, OK, these other players who might be vaccinated in a huddle. Theoretically, they should know that Aaron Rodgers isn't vaccinated because he's following all those protocols. If that, in fact, you know, happened and the protocols they have in place for the unvaccinated people are designed to also protect the vaccinated ones. So, but I, I, I agree with you. The larger point too is this, it does kind of come back to the, you know, what, what a lot of people have said about Aaron Rodgers who know Aaron Rodgers, that he's one of these guys who thinks that he is the, the smartest person in any room he walks into. And, and maybe he is, but. Paul Ryan, I've said this before, Paul Ryan, if you ever get a chance to know Paul Ryan, Paul Ryan really is the smartest guy in almost any room he walks into. But the thing is, 
you talk to Paul Ryan and you don't know that. He doesn't carry himself that way, even though he is. Aaron Rodgers, I get the impression, kind of does carry himself in that fashion. I Look, I we're, we're just got a ton of text, as you might expect on this. Uh, there, there's more information, I think, that's going to be coming out. There's reports out there that he had applied for some sort of alternative sort of treatment, you know, one of these kind of hippie things or, or whatever, and said that this should qualify for me to be, you know, immunized and and the NFL, you know, just didn't end up buying it. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more stories in this. Biggest problem for the Packers right now is, is Rodgers is out for this week and, and maybe longer. They've only got one quarterback um, on the active roster, and he's probably been in the same room in close contact with Aaron Rodgers. So who knows what's going to happen with that? They, they need more bodies in there. And like I say, if you know you're you were a high school quarterback or something, you think you got still something left in the arm, you, you might want to be dialing up Green Bay because I have a feeling they're looking for warm bodies. Boy, I tell you, you knew, you just knew when this story broke and it was Aaron Rodgers, you knew it was going to be something weird. (laughs) Go figure. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Absolutely hundreds of texts on on this issue. People just kind of all over the map on it. And, of course, we'll know. Trust me, um, somebody was saying, well, there's more important things to talk about. And, well... And my only recommendation would be if you do a radio talk show in Wisconsin uh, and you're not talking about Aaron Rodgers for at least portions of the show, you do not understand where the vast majority of the audience is. All right. I have to admit, I got I, I enjoyed myself doing something I almost never do. And it happened last evening. I turned on MSNBC. Yeah, see, I, I'm just, I'm not a fan of MSNBC, but I, I got home, I, I went out with a couple friends to an event, you know, came home, and I was watching the election results, and we'll, we'll talk more about this in the remainder of the show, but it was a very, 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 did I say very, a very bad night for, for Democrats. Uh, Virginia, which has been a reliable Democratic state, for the last several elections went Republican in a big way. The Democrat candidate for governor in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, former one-term governor. Virginia, you can only serve one consecutive you, you cannot you cannot be reelected to multiple consecutive terms so he had served he was a four-year he'd been a governor for four years he was running for re-election again he's very tied into the democratic establishment he joe biden barack obama uh, kamala harris they all came out they campaigned for him the polls showed him ahead two months before the election by 10 plus points joe biden won virginia a year ago by over 10 points over donald trump this was seen as just it's going to be a walkover and things started changing and things started changing and things started changing joe biden incredibly unpopular now if you believe the polls he's polling his poll numbers his disapproval rating is higher than any other president in modern times other than donald trump and a lot of democrats saw oh, this this isn't going to play out this way well, well last night mcauliffe loses and and it was i, I think it was a stunner that Terry McAuliffe lost to the Republican challenger Glenn Youngkin in New Jersey, which is the epitome of of a of a of a blue state. Nobody thought the governor's race was going to be close. And for most of the night, the Republican challenger, who was relatively unknown, incredibly underfunded, was leading. Now, I think ultimately 
the, the Democratic incumbent is going to pull it out. I think that by the time like all the votes come in, he will probably end up pulling it out. It was it was a deadlock. It was within like 500 votes when I last checked a couple hours ago. I think ultimately the Democrats going to win. But but this is sending shockwaves to the Democrat Party nationwide because New Jersey was not supposed to be close. I mean, this was supposed to be just a walk in the park. The incumbent was supposed to win by 10, 15 points. And it, it's a it's a cliffhanger where you're not going to know for sure who won until after you, you end up counting all the ballots. Very, very bad night for Democrats. And going into the midterm elections where the party in power traditionally does not do well, I, I think a lot of people are recognizing that just – what they tried to do in Virginia was they tried to run against Donald Trump. They, they, they weren't running against Glenn Youngkin. It was this, he, it's Donald Trump, it's Donald Trump, it's Donald Trump. Well, Donald Trump's been gone for a year, and that strategy just flat out didn't work. So anyhow, I'm getting, I'm watching these results, and I'm seeing the numbers. I said, I wonder what they're thinking about over on MSNBC. So I turn on MSNBC. I, I, I have to tell you, Brian Williams, I thought... You would have thought that somebody shot Brian Williams' dog. I mean, I've never, he was just, he, he was, I think, vacillating between angry that voters could be so stupid that they would vote for a Republican. And that was it. I, I can't believe the, these, these stupid voters and, and they're voting on critical race theory and, and, and can you believe it? And then they had Al Franken, the former comedian, the former disgraced senator, and he was on and he was angry and they were just, just both mad. How they, they couldn't believe that like 52% of the voters in Virginia had, had voted for the Republican and how stupid these people were. And they were just, they were just incredibly angry. It was a complete and total meltdown. Then you get Rachel Maddow and you get Joy Reid on, and they're almost in tears uh, about this. It's sort of like, well, I mean, a number of people are describing it as the, the seven stages of grief, and you could watch them going through this on this, this endless loop as they just could not believe, again, that voters in this country were so stupid so ill-informed, so dumb that they would rise up and that they would reject the the Biden policies. I was watching Brian Williams, and he's saying, you know, the Democrats, they just need to understand all this stuff that that we're we're trying to do for them and all these big giveaways and this and that and the other thing. It's just, it's amazing to me that people just do not understand how wonderful these things are and what we're doing for the public. And and, and they have the audacity to even question this agenda. and, And how could this possibly be? Again, it was one of those things that was just hysterical to kind of watch because, I mean, the, the reality is when it comes to elections, there there is a pendulum. And I've been doing this long enough to know. You, you see what, what happens is you, you have wave elections. Uh, when Barack Obama got elected in 2008, that was a wave uh, election. In 2010, because the general public thought Obama and the administration were moving too far too fast, you had a, a wave election that brought it back. In this case, as I've said before, there, there was ne- Joe Biden never had a mandate to change the country fundamentally. Joe Biden was elected because people were tired of Donald Trump. Pure and simple. And by thinking that this is this mandate for this huge government stuff and we're going to have the government dictate what schools are going to teach and we're not going to care about what the parents think and we're going to do all these different policies and things like that, it, it was just a gross overreach. And so, you know, I don't know what happens to the Biden agenda over the course of the next year. 
But unless the Democrats figure out a way to change their messaging, this, this is going to be it's going to be a huge wave one year from now. Now, is there a lot of stuff they can do? Sure. But if you watched MSNBC last night, it was just it was almost funny to watch because they were just devastated and angry that the electorate would reject their chosen candidates, to which my response is, get over it, because if you don't change the messaging and don't change the policies, you're going to see a lot more of that happen over the course of the next year. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Before we got distracted with the breaking news about Aaron Rodgers, there was going to be a theme that was emerging to today's show. And that theme is uncomfortable truths. Now, we touched on one at the end of the pro, of the end of last hour. There, there are some people who just absolutely hate Donald Trump and haven't been able to move on and are looking at what happened last night as being this, oh, it's just, it's just the people are stupid and the voters were lied to and they just, it's just unbelievable that anybody just can't see that Joe Biden is the greatest thing since canned beer and this is the agenda that we need to do and, and we need to spend all this money, we need to do these things and the uncomfortable truth is that is to those people who think that way, that that's just not where the American people are nowadays. And, and, and yes, you can continue to hold your beliefs, but don't be surprised if you end up losing more and more elections. But here is another uncomfortable truth. And this is getting this is getting all sorts of attention in in Chicago because it involves a statement that's made by the CEO of McDonald's and McDonald's is based in in the Chicago area. Well, by, by way of background, Chicago is not unlike Milwaukee and other urban areas in that it is plagued plagued by senseless crime. And it's just, you know, and on this show, on a regular basis, we, we spend a lot of time during the course of the program on a daily basis talking about just the, the senseless stuff that happens, whether it's senseless vandalism. You know, people in Brown Deer, kids going on a, a rampage where you break 50 cars, presumably windows, presumably as as a gang initiation, or the, the reckless driving, or the car theft. You know, you name it, it happens all the time. And we express this frustration. And a lot of times, it's young people that end up getting involved in this. And one of the questions that people ask rhetorically is, you know, wh- where are the parents? And, and that's, I, I think that's fair. It's only a part of the question, but but it's fair. You know, what what, what is a 13-year-old doing out at 1.30 in the morning with a 14-year-old and two 15-year-olds stealing cars off of the parking lot of the Holiday Inn Express out by Mayfair Shopping Center? What is a 13-year-old doing when confronted by a 46-year-old woman pulling her out of the car, her car, stealing her car, but first running over her back and forth? and back and forth and leaving her for dead. What are a 13, 14 and two 15 year olds doing after they have stolen now multiple cars, let killed a woman? What are they doing taking her credit card and going to Walmart and uh, you know buying clothes and then buying paint and trying to spray paint the car to conceal the identity? And, and one of the questions you ask is where are the parents? I mean, seriously, who who is responsible for this 13-year-old or the 14-year-old or the 15-year-olds? And that is a fair question. But apparently it's it's a question that it's, it's uncomfortable because we don't like to ask those questions. Well, in Chicago, there have been 
two very high-profile cases recently involving children who have lost their lives. In the one case, it's a 13-year-old boy. His name is Adam Toledo. He was shot by a Chicago police officer. And the, the, the facts of the case, you know, it, it doesn't, the facts of the case are, are, I guess, a little bit subject to, to issue. But what ended up happening is there, it's 2.35 in the morning. 2.35 in the morning, and the Chicago authorities get the report of multiple gunshots being fired. Did I mention it's 2.30 in the morning? So police pull up on the area where the, these gunshots are occurring, and there's two people. There's an adult, and then there's a 13-year-old. This is Adam Toledo, and, and they're together, and as soon as the police arrive, what happens is that this young man uh, gets out of the car and he starts running down an, an alley. The police are yelling for him to stop. He, he, he doesn't stop at first. He's got a gun in his hand. He, he drops the gun, and simultaneously with him dropping the gun, the, the, the police officer shoots, the, shoots what turns out to be the, this 13-year-old. Okay, and there's all these investigations. The question is, is this an unlawful shooting? And and that will all sort itself out. It's a tragedy. But the the point is, it's a a 13-year-old who's out on the street with a gun at 2.30 in the morning. The other situation that happened, and this involves McDonald's, as you might have seen this a couple weeks ago, middle of the afternoon, there's a seven-year-old girl. Her name is Jaslyn Adams. She is with her father in a McDonald's drive through in Chicago. And what happens is she is shot six times as they're in the McDonald's drive through According to the police reports, what happens is it looks like it's, it's a gang la- – it looks like it's a gang shooting because the car – she's in the car with her father – Car pulls in, couple guys get out, and it's just like the movies. It's, it's like, you know, it's like the Godfather movie. They start riddling the car with bullets. The father is injured, not killed. The little girl is killed. But she's killed because she was in the car and she was collateral damage. It's, it's a horrible story. They weren't intending to kill the girl. They were intending to kill the father in what appears to be like a gangland shooting. Then a couple hours later, apparently, there's another what they believe is like a retaliatory shooting at another gang thing. So you, you get the idea. Seven-year-old is dead because she's with her father, who is at least apparently involved in something that he shouldn't be involved in, and he's the target of a gang shooting. In the other situation, you've got the 13-year-old kid who's shot by the police, 2.30 in the morning, though. He's out on the street. He's got a gun, and he's running from the cops. Okay, so that's the background. So the mayor of Chicago, who is a kind of piece of work in and of herself, she goes out to, to, to visit the McDonald's where this, this all occurred. And the CEO for McDonald's is there, and they do this press conference and like that. So after the press conference and after the meeting, the McDonald's CEO sends the mayor a text. Here's what the text is. Apparently, he's expressing his, you know, concern and with these different, you know, issues and these different shootings. And here's what the CEO says. He writes, with both... And he's talking about the Adam Toledo shooting and the seven-year-old girl. He says, with both, the parents failed those kids. 
which I know is something that you can't say. It's even harder to fix. So that's what he says. In both of these shootings, the parents failed those kids, which I know is something that you can't say. It's even harder to fix. The mayor responds. Um, the mayor says, thanks, Chris. Great to see you in person. Such a great workspace. Your folks were terrific. I said to Joe, I would be happy to reach out to the operator to offer support. He and his team members have got to be traumatized. Terrible tragedy. Thanks again, Chris. Okay, that, that's her response to this, talking about the employees who were traumatized because you had this gang shooting in their drive-through um, thing. All right, this these text exchange becomes public because somebody files an open records request. And people are just ripping the McDonald's CEO. McDonald's CEO sparks controversy for saying that the parents failed those kids. And there's one letter after another saying, how incredibly insensitive could you be to even suggest something like this? These are comments that lack compassion and lack empathy. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this one of these uncomfortable truths? I mean, because we, we ask this question all the time when you have these horrible situations where children are either the victims of crime or children have committed the, these horrible crimes. We, we ask this question, you know, where are the parents? That, that's the generic thing. And it's asked so much that I guess sometimes, you know, people just, your, your eyes glaze over. But here the McDonald's CEO is saying, okay, in both these cases, that the seven-year-old is killed because her father is apparently involved with gangs, and she's in the car when, and gets, is the victim of what is a gang-related by all parents shooting, parents is shooting. The 13-year-old is shot by the police, right? Investigations will occur, but he's out on the street with a gun at 2.30 in the morning. Is it unfair to suggest that the parents failed these children in both these instances? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Failed the seven-year-old by being involved in gangs and putting her in a situation where she could be in the line of fire. Failed the 13-year-old by not saying, you're not supposed to be out running around with guns and low-life friends at 2.30 in the morning because nothing good will happen. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I'm sorry, this is an uncomfortable truth. The, the CEO at McDonald's is now being ripped for being insensitive and not caring for saying, you know, the, the thing that happened with the seven-year-old girl who was killed in my one of my McDonald's drive-throughs when her husband, her father, is targeted in, in a gang-related shooting. Well, the parents, the parents failed her, and this thirteen-year-old boy who was shot by the cops when he was running from him with a gun at two thirty in the morning. That the parents failed them. Now, there's all sorts of other stuff that's going on, but is that is that a lack of compassion? Is that a lack of empathy? Can't we really say that that is that's that's true? It it was a failure. The dad, look, I'm sure he's broken up by the loss of his seven year old daughter, but you know, if he wasn't involved in gangs that was targeted in a gangland shooting, that this wouldn't have happened. And what's a 13 year old doing out on the street at 2:30 in the morning with a low life buddy? In a shots fired situation and running from the cops with a gun. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Hi, Mike. Hello. Hi, Mike. Hey, uh, what I want. Go ahead. 
keep it in their hair. But they haven't done anything to prevent what happened. If I'm a parent, I don't put my kids in risk. I don't take part in actions that put my kids in risk. And if I'm a parent, I know where my kids are. None of my kids have been out past midnight on a school night. None of my kids have been out past 11 on a school night. Wouldn't happen. Yeah, you, you're I know right. Who my kids are with. Well, well, exactly. No, thanks, thanks for call. that. That's that, that's it. That's that's being the responsible parent. It, it's look. There, there, you can make an argument that a lot of other stuff went wrong here, but yes, I your your kid, your thirteen year old kid, is out with somebody else. There's a shots fired situation. He's got a gun and he's running from the cops at two thirty in the morning. Yes, I I think there's a lot of failures, but I don't think it's the end of the world to say the uncomfortable truth, which is the parents failed him. A lot of other people might have failed him as well, but the kid shouldn't have been out on that str- on the street. Same sort of thing here. It's a horrible thing that the seven-year-old girl ends up being caught in the crossfire in the, this this gang shooting, which is what it's appeared to be. But okay, maybe maybe dad shouldn't have been involved in gangs in the first place, putting his family at risk. John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Hi, uh, yeah, um, hey, Jeff. Uh, Hi, John. My my thing is this: I blame it. I blame it on the society. I blame it because you can't scold your kids now. You know, you can't whoop them. You can't do anything like that. And because they'll go to school and they'll say it's child abuse. Okay, yeah. so they got no discipline. Yeah. And then, uh, as far as the kids being out at night, if you can't handle your kid and they're out, I think you ought to call the police department and say they're missing because they're not at home. At least the police department know that. John, did you raise any kids? Do you have any children yourself? I do. I have three daughters. Okay. Would any of those daughters, when they were 13 years old, been out on the street at 2.35 in the morning? No, 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 no. In no way. Yeah. My, my, my daughter is 50-something years old. They don't be out, be out that late now. <laughs> no. <it's, Yeah>. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, my voice, my voice, when, when I disciplined my kids, I didn't have to whoop them. They could hear my voice, and they'll, you know, and they'll right. start, you know, tearing up, you know. But nowadays, the kids are seven years old; they're cussing out the teacher. You know, it, 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 you can't whoop them. The yeah. state says you cannot whoop them. Yeah, well, thank. Well, regardless of of of, of whooping them or or, or whatever, um, I, parents instill in kids a, a sense of right and wrong, and what can't be, what can and can't be tolerated. I mean, my my parents didn't whoop me but or my brother that's just not the way we were raised but at the same time we they, there was there were controls there were limits we weren't allowed to just be out on the street at 2:30 in the morning you know where where i mean I, I jokingly say it's wagner's rule of life number 4 nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning well that's true for everybody but i'm going to tell you absolutely nothing's good going to happen to a 13 year old kid on the mean streets of uh, chicago carrying a gun at 2:35 in the morning it's nothing good is going to happen and the other situation the seven-year-old it's a horrible it's a horrible situation she ends up being like i was saying this collateral damage because the the father is apparently involved in gangs he's targeted and and she ends up being the victim well okay that is a failure of of the parents jeff my husband is a cop he's been he consistently says that in his opinion the majority of problems in society today are caused by poor parenting and uh the media in all forms there's no substitute for quality parents and quality information without both we are where we are now it was the, well the whole idea and again it just it strikes me it's interesting that the mcdonald's ceo is just being ripped for a lack of compassion and a lack of empathy i would argue that turning a blind eye to what is so obvious to almost everybody 
that, that there are problems like this, that this was a failure of parenting in, as well as other stuff, and trying to just pretend that this isn't an issue that's out there, that's where we have the real failure and the lack of, of empathy that's going on there. Because if we're going to get a handle on this, we need to condemn these bad this bad behavior. We do need to do more than every time there's a 13-year-old that kills somebody while he's in the process of stealing her car out at Mayfair, we need to do more than just call up the radio talk shows or listen to the radio talk show hosts go, well, where are the parents? We, 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 we need to like call that out and say, where, where were the parents? And what was going on here? And yes, good parents don't let 13-year-olds out on the street and put them in this position at, at 1.30 in the morning because nothing good is going to happen. Dave, um, on the east side. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Um, Jeff, hey, um, yeah, 100% that the parents are failing here. And, and harking back to the, the kids that are on the street, I mean, I just find it somewhat ironic, somewhat sad that, you know, having a suburban background, you know, it was always, man, if you do something, your parents are going to pay the price. If, you, if your kids are up to no good, I don't, you know, again, it would be at a drinking party, your other no good, the parents are going to be held responsible. And now it's kind of like, you know, hey, your parents took you to task for that because they knew they'd be on the hook. But yet Milwaukee, apparently... Yeah. The parents, the, your kids can get away with murder, and there's no repercussions for the parents whatsoever. Right, and it continues. I mean, th- thanks for it, 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 and it continues. It, it's over and over and over again. I mean, how many stories just in the last okay, j- just in the last year? Let's go back to January first. How many stories have we seen on, heard on radio, or seen on television, or read about in the newspaper, or talked about on this program, where it's the juveniles that are out there stealing the cars? Almost thirty cars a day stolen just in the city of Milwaukee alone. A lot of them are used on high speed chases. How many times have we talked about how the 15-year-old who's running from the cops at 100 miles an hour loses control of the car, smashes the car, kills passengers, kills himself or herself, kills other people who happen to be on the wrong spot? And and again, the the question over and over again is what are they doing in that situation in the first place? And yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that there's a wide range of issues that are out there. But yeah, it, it's not an example of good parenting if your kids are out on the street stealing cars, running over other people, fleeing from the cops at one thirty in the morning. And we should be able to say that and tell that uncomfortable truth without getting ripped by all these groups and say that you lack empathy or compassion. Lacking empathy and compassion is pretending that this is not a problem. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, there were a number of of elections on on the ballot. Of course, the the Virginia governorship is the story that's taking kind of all the oxygen oxygen air out of the the political area era because Virginia, of course, was a state that went for Joe Biden by ten points, and then a year later. Joe Biden and the Biden administration pretty much rejected when their chosen candidate loses by a couple points. And I think that that's the conversation about what what's going on and what does that mean for the midterms. And I, I always caution people that sometimes people read too much into these off-year elections. But in this particular case, I think everybody would agree that this was like the first real referendum on the Biden administration, and you, you had a, a state that had been a reliably a blue state that has now turned red. So, I mean, that, that tells you something. Uh, locally, 
You had the election that was watched nationally, which was the school board recall up in Mequon-Thienesville, where you, you had incredible interest. If you lived in that area, lots of early voting, signs up all over. This has been something that's really taken a lot of the oxygen out of that community for the better part of, well, seven or eight months. And the recall effort failed, uh, and it kind of failed overwhelmingly. I think all the existing candidates were um, were reelected or survived the recall by about a 60-40 vote. I, the, the question to me is, what does that mean? And, and I, I think sometimes people need to be too careful or need to be careful about not reading too much into that. Just like the effort to recall Scott Walker in what was it in in 2011 was i think a bridge too far i think th- this is one of these lessons and i've been saying this uh, a lot as a general rule even though the law in wisconsin allows recalls i i don't think most people like the notion of recall except for misfeasance and malfeasance. I mean, when I first started doing the, the show a couple years in, we had the Milwaukee County pension scandal, where you, you had a number of county supervisors who ha- had had just changed the pension rules to make public employees, and in some cases themselves, rich beyond the dreams of avarice. That was, I, I guess you can argue about whether it was malfeasance or misfeasance, but it was clearly, in my opinion, one of those two. And so it, it led to the, the recalls and the the former county executive who passed away a number of years ago, he ended up resigning because he knew what was going to happen. A number of county supervisors were recalled. I believe the recall, I believe then and I believe now, that under those circumstances, the recall was appropriate. In 2011, though, you, you have the effort to recall Scott Walker because of Act 10. That wasn't misfeasance. That wasn't malfeasance. This was just people, oh, we, we don't like the, these policies that are there. And that's why I always say elections have consequences. And and I think there were a lot of people back in 2011 who either sat it out or voted for Scott Walker, not because they necessarily agreed with Act 10, but because they didn't like the idea of a recall. They just did not think that that was the appropriate way to go about expressing your opinion. You don't like Donald Trump after he gets elected in 2016? Well, you show up in 2018 and you vote against anybody that's got an R after their name. That's pretty much what ended up happening. And and I think that's – Walker was, was – more popular than I think people gave him credit for, and he was a stronger candidate back then. But also, I think, again, a lot of people who might have been on the fence about Act 10, they didn't like the idea of a recall. And I think what happened in Mequon-Thienesville last night was the same sort of thing. Now, very, very split community about the way the school board operates and things like that. But I think, and I I know I talked to a lot of people there who weren't thrilled with the school board and weren't thrilled with the direction of the schools, but they kept saying, well, you know, we we just had a school board election and we're scheduled to have another school board election next April, and and why are we we going through this recall? If people wanted to change the school board, they should line up and they should run as candidates and they should campaign and we'll have the election in April. So I, I think for some people, they might look at what happened last night in the Mequon Thienesville School Board and say, well, this shows that, that you know, the, the vast majority of citizens are satisfied with the way the school system is educating kids and things like that. I, I think that might be misreading the results. Clearly, there's some of that, but I think there's also a lot of people out there who just 
aren't thrilled with the notion of recalls and just don't think that that's the way to go about stuff. And that maybe is a lesson for people on the right and the left moving forward. And it's also a recognition why you got to campaign really hard in the general elections because elections do matter. Well, before the break, I, I, I threw out the question, who are the 44%? Because one of the other, one of the other elections that was being closely watched nationwide was up in Minneapolis. Now, Minneapolis is, of course, the community where a, a lot of the, the fuel got, got thrown into the, the social justice movements because of the killing of um, George Floyd. And after the killing of George Floyd, you had a number of activists who said, look, th- this is it. The police the police isn't it's not working we've got to completely revamp the way we approach things and so we we want to defund the police now for a lot of us we thought that that was just really ridiculous but there are people around who who legitimately believe in that there's a lot of people in madison who feel that madison would be a lot safer if you didn't have a police force to which i'd say good luck with that but in any event this movement to defund the police is kind of started in minneapolis and it it went to it, it went to there was a ballot measure um yesterday um nine city council members had pledged to essentially that's what they want to do we're going to take a whole bunch of money from the police and what we're going to do is we're going to create an office of violence protection and we're going to hire social workers and all these things and this is what we're going to do well the problem between when this idea first came out and now is that um, Minneapolis are, is a killing field. Um, violent crime has increased dramatically in the 17 months since George Floyd's murder. So violent crime has increased dramatically. The um, ranks of the police department have, have dwindled as officers have just said enough is enough. I, I don't need to put up with this aggravation. So they're retiring um, or they're just leaving for other departments or just getting out of the business. And the result of a reduced police force has been to just open the door for all sorts of violent crime. So yesterday, ballot initiative asking, all right, should we, in effect, abolish the Minneapolis Police Department? And should we try to you know, recreate it as something else? All right, um, like viewing this, for example, as a as a again a, a public health sort of situation. Well, people went to the polls, and despite the fact that a few months ago this issue was polling, there were like sixty percent of people who answered these polls in Minneapolis saying, "Absolutely, let's defund the police, let's abolish the police department." Well, when the rubber met the road yesterday, uh, this ballot initiative went down fifty six to forty four. So it went down. Pretty overwhelmingly. I guess the question that I have when I see these results, though, are who are the 44 percent? I mean, seriously, what who, who are the, the 44 percent of the electorate, the crazies that actually went out with the idea of let's abolish the police department? I mean, in an era where crime, for whatever reasons, is going through the roof. Can you imagine anything more insane than deciding we're going to do away with the police department and we're going to try to reinvent it as some sort of social uh, touchy feely you know, um, thing? No knock on social workers, but you know, social workers have their jobs and the cops have their jobs. And 
the big problem in, in Minneapolis isn't that we should defund the police. The big problem is that we're not funding the police enough, and you're seeing the results with crime. In any event, that initiative went down 56 to 44 yesterday, and my big question is, who are the 44% of the people that voted to abolish the police department? And, you know, how, how, what do you think they're going to think next time they're the victim of a robbery and they call 911 and no one would have answered? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There's another story out there that just, it's a senseless loss of life. And it's another one of these stories and on so many levels. You, you just, you do not understand how people can be irresp- so irresponsible as to let this happen. For, for those of you who haven't been following the story, it broke yesterday. There's a guy named Henry Ruggs III. He was, was, uh, a, a superstar receiver for the Las Vegas Raiders, the former Oakland Raiders. He's there up until, well, the other day. He was their leading receiver this year. And the, the Raiders are having a good, they're in first place in their division. They're like five and two. And he's, Caught almost four five hundred yards worth of passing. You know, a team high four hundred and sixty nine yards, two touchdowns. It's in his second year. The guy had had the world by the tail. He was the twelfth pick in the NFL draft last year. He was presumably going to on the way to go on to have just a, a great career in the NFL. Well, now that that career is probably pretty much over. If you haven't been following it, what happens is um, Thursday. Tu- I'm sorry, Tuesday night. 3.40 a.m. in the morning. All right, what's Wagner's rule of life? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 in the morning. Well, trust me, very little happens on the streets of Las... Good happens on the streets of Las Vegas at 3.40 in the morning. In any event, 3.40 in the morning, he's driving his Corvette, and he slams at high speed into the rear of a Toyota RAV4 on a busy thoroughfare in a residential area, again, several miles west of the strip. The Toyota bursts into flames... The driver of the vehicle is killed in this crash. Her dog dies as well. She's got the dog in the car as well. But anyways, this guy's driving. It's 3.40 in the morning. He slams into the car. She's dead. She's dead. Turns out, um, well, what the authorities say is he was drunk, said he showed signs of impairment um, with regard to that. Um, He had a, um, there's a passenger in his car, they haven't identified, you know, him or I think it's a her, but, you know, remains hospitalized. But it's 3.40 in the morning. The guy is at least arguably driving drunk, smashes into a car, kills kills the person and her dog that's in there. The Raiders have immediately released him. Um, so for all intents and purposes, his career in the NFL is over. He is in all likelihood, if he is convicted of this offense, he's going to be going to prison and he's probably going to be doing, you know, at least a few years and, and maybe more, depending on the circumstances in prison. His career is over. Somebody is dead because he's out driving drunk at 340 in the morning. There's so many aspects of the story that I just do not understand. And I'm really not being flip when, when I say this. First of all, when you have people that have been given this gift, that this ability to make, you know, a living, not just a living, but make a great living. You know, if he follows through on his career, if he would have followed through on his career, he would have never had to work another day in his life. His kids wouldn't have had to work another day in life. His grandkids wouldn't have had to work a day in his life. He's just completely and totally peed that all away by deciding, hey, I'm going to go out and drive drunk 
really fast on the streets at 3.40 in the morning. It, it's just that inability to understand that you've got the world by the tail and not appreciate it. I don't get that. Secondly, and, and I, if I were... If I were the general manager or the president of a, of a sports team, whether it's the Milwaukee Brewers or the Green Bay Packers or the Las Vegas Raiders or the Milwaukee Bucks or whatever, I would put my contract that I wouldn't let these people drive. I, I would not let these players drive. Why, why in the world is this guy behind the wheel of a car? You would think in this particular situation, you've got enough money, you've got enough resources, just hire one of your friends, hire one of the members of you know your, your crew, and, and they're your designated driver. So you never have to worry about something like this. How many of these stories do we hear where people have just completely and totally destroyed their careers and, in this case, killed somebody else? I mean, somebody else is dead. That's the big story. Their career is over all because they decide to get drunk and get behind the wheel of the car and, and drive like a maniac or whatever. In this case, just you know, you're, you're, you're an all-pro wide receiver. All right, no problem. Just have a driver, for goodness sakes. Do whatever you want to do. If you want to be on the mean streets of Las Vegas at 340, that's fine. But be, you know, be in the passenger seat of the Corvette with some sober driver driving you around. Why is that too much to ask? Just wondering. But apparently it is. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial continues. This is now day three of the trial. Right now, the state has called a, a there's a, a law enforcement, one of their their in the federal system, we used to always call them case agencies, would be, you know, one of the agents who's assisting the prosecution. And what they're doing now is they're using him to introduce into evidence that the videos that, that are out there of the, the night of the shooting and the events that led up to this. And, and so he's describing, you know, what, what you see right now, for example, they're at the point of the trial where they're, it's at the, that car source dealership, which was one of the dealerships. There, I guess there's three. One was burning the two days earlier. And this was one of the ones where the Rittenhouse was, was going to try to assist people in quote unquote protecting it. And so that's where they are right now. They're kind of walking through and they're putting the videos into evidence. The prosecution is calling the, the witnesses. Um, they, they, the trial is moving uh, apace. Uh, they're, they're, they're moving it along. I, I know the judge, hopes to be done by next week again that i didn't think they were going to get a jury in a day so you know who knows but they're i think at some point in time it's going to slow down a little bit to me the 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 ultimate question and it was sort of addressed yesterday in the opening statements is is does kyle rittenhouse testify because i I would tell you something all the other stuff that, that that's introduced becomes secondary if Rittenhouse testifies. Because ultimately, that's what the case is going to come down to. You know, can the state meet its burden of proof um, in, in the face of Rittenhouse testimony? How does how does the jury react to, you know, what he was doing? Yesterday, a lot of the testimony centered around the fact that, you know, the he had acquired the gun I- illegally. I mean, he wasn't allowed to purchase the gun. You know, his, his friend had purchased it for him with the understanding that he, he wouldn't wouldn't handle it till he was 18, but yet he was handling the gun when he that that night. So, you know, that's what was set up. And today, of course, you're having a lot of testimony. Again, it's just introducing the, the videos that are out there of the event. At the end of the day, though, this case, in my opinion, is going to come down to whether or not Rittenhouse testifies. As I've said before, a defendant 
is under no obligation to testify, even though the defense attorney in his uh, opening remarks, I think, clearly implied that Rittenhouse would be taking the stand. A defendant is under no obligation to testify, and the fact the jury will be instructed the fact that he, he chose not to testify cannot be held against him. Having said that, though, just as a practical matter, putting the jury instructions aside, I think in a case like this, the jury is going to want to hear from from the defendant. They're going to want to know, okay, what were you thinking? Why why did you, if this is what happened, what was it that, that caused you to believe you had to do this? And, and so I, I think there's going to be a tremendous pressure to testify simply because I think jurors, even though they'll be told that they can't consider it a defendant's failure to testify against him, defendants are going to say, well, the jury is going to say, we, we want to hear from him. what What was going on? What was he thinking? What was going through his mind? Why did he do what he did? And of course, if you put Rittenhouse on the stand, that in cross opens him up, number one, to cross-examination, and number two, perhaps opens up doors to other sort of stuff outside of those events of the last couple days. So that's where we are with the trial, and we'll continue to monitor it and talk about it when it is appropriate. Uh, Melissa alluded to this earlier. The the electorate is hacked off. You know, you, and that that's the best way to put it. The, you had the, the results in Virginia yesterday that we've talked about a couple times where Virginia goes Republican just sending shockwaves through the political community. That was kind of, uh, that Virginia a year ago goes for Joe Biden by 10 points over Donald Trump, uh, you know, ends up voting for Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, who's going to win by two or three points at the end. That's like a 12 or a 13 point spread swing in a year. And, you know, the Democrats tried to make the campaign about Trump, uh, Trump, 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 and the Republicans kind of avoided that. Joe Biden came into campaign. Barack Obama came into campaign. Kamala Harris came into campaign. It, it, it did not work. New Jersey, reliable, reliable blue state. Uh, New Jersey, I, I think at the end of the day, it's still too close to call. At the end of the day, the incumbent Democrat governor is going to survive. But I mean, he's just going to survive. For most of the night last night, he was trailing. My guess, if he wins, it's going to be by about a point. Nobody saw that coming. Absolutely nobody saw that coming. Everybody thought he was probably going to win by five to 10, maybe even more. So it clearly, the, the electorate isn't Buy, on a national level, the electorate isn't buying what, what Joe Biden is selling, and that bodes poorly for Democrats moving into the, the off-year elections. Well, as Melissa was just alluding to, there's the new Marquette University Law School poll out. And you always, as we always say, you have to take these polls with a grain of salt. And Marquette Law School poll, I, I think, does a reasonably good job of doing this. They, they've been really wrong when it comes to especially the Trump factor, but they're, they're closer to being accurate when you take questions relating to Donald Trump away. Trump, for whatever reasons, Trump compounds, confounds pollsters. But anyhow, they, they've got their new numbers out, and um, it's it's just not good news, um, no matter how you look at, at it, for pretty much any incumbent politician. All right, uh, Joe Biden... Um, his approval rating was 49% in the last time they took the poll in, in August. That would be 49%. Uh, that has now dropped 
Only 43% of voters approve of Joe Biden's job performance. 53% disapprove. Um, so he, he's pretty much underwater, and, and he's pretty underwater in Wisconsin a year after you know winning the Wisconsin race very, very closely. His, his numbers on the pandemic are, are slightly positive, 50 to 46, but on, on the economy. And as Bill Clinton taught us all back in the 90s, when voters go to vote, it's the economy, stupid. <laughs> That's just kind of what it is. Um, when he's asked about how he's handling the economy, 39% approve, 56% disapprove. Um, that's that's a huge number. And again, you, you've got time to turn things around, but it's certainly not a good sign. So Biden underwater, 53% disapprove, 43% approve. Uh, Tony Evers. All right. Um, let's see. Evers in August. Last time they asked the question, he had 50 percent approval and forty three percent disapproval. He is now underwater. His approval numbers have gone from fifty to forty five, and his disapproval have gone from forty three to forty six. So forty five percent approve, forty six percent disapprove. So he's underwater too. Um, not anywhere near as much as Joe Biden is. So um, you, you've got Evers. That's not a good sign for an incumbent moving into an election year. Matter of fact, and this, this is one of the questions that oftentimes is pretty much meaningless, but they say, you know, would you be inclined to, you know, vote for, you know, would you be inclined to vote for him again? And the numbers were, again, not, not good in that regard. Okay, so what are the other big races that are out there? Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson, um, 36% favorable, 42% unfavorable. So he's underwater. Tammy Baldwin, 38% um, favorable, 39% unfavorable. So she's underwater as well, not as much as, as Ron Johnson. But it, it just shows, I think, that the you know electorate is is very, very hacked off, if, if nothing else. The Johnson numbers are interesting because, like I say, 36 42. That's not necessarily where, where you want to be. But one of the questions they asked is they said, okay, if he ran, forget about whether you approve of the job or not. If he ran for reelection, would you vote for him? 38% said yes. 52% said that they would vote for someone else. That, again, th- those sort of generic ballot questions are, are tough. They say, oh, I'd vote for somebody else. But then, you know, it turns out that you, you don't like that someone else. So it's tough to read too much into that. But clearly what's coming through from these poll numbers and what's coming through from the elections in New Jersey and in Virginia yesterday is the electorate is angry. I mean, people people aren't happy with Joe Biden. They're not happy with the economy. They're kind of hacked off in general. And it doesn't look like it's shaping up to be a good year to be an incumbent. That's at least my take in November of 2021. Things might be different a year from now. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
Now, I was telling the story earlier about how I, I was watching MSNBC last night and just the, the angst and the tears and the, the just deranged stuff. I mean, you know, Brian Williams, he was talking to Al Franken, the disgraced former senator from Minnesota, and, and they were they were just they alternated between being angry and just being almost uncontrollably sad, angry about how the how stupid people were, how stupid could be all these people, these these million plus people in Virginia who went out and voted for the Republican? Don't they understand? Uh, to just you know all the, these different choices that and this is awful, and, and so they they were angry about this. But then, all right, in every kernel. So I'm, I'm I got to admit I'm kind of enjoying watching this this sort of angst and and this idea of this this superiority. This well, I can't believe anybody could possibly vote for Glenn Youngkin. They must be just nuts. But but then what happened is this was kind of an interesting thing. Brian Williams, in an effort to try to validate his point, sort of well, I forget sort of he he wanted to imply that everybody who voted for the Republican in Virginia and for the Republican in New Jersey was essentially stupid or being misled. And so what he did is he said, well, for example, he's talking to Al Franken, did you see what happened at Dealey Plaza in Dallas yesterday? And I guess I hadn't heard about this, but it intrigued me. You know, QAnon, which is, again, one of the kind of strange conspiracy nebulous things that was out there and it, it really kind of a fringe sort of thing well apparently there were these these rumors that started circulating that John F Kennedy jr the son of former president John F Kennedy who died in a plane crash 20 years ago that the rumor was that he was he'd really been in hiding for the last 20 years that that uh, his death had been faked and that he was going to appear yesterday afternoon in Dealey Plaza you know, in Dallas where President Kennedy was shot and he was going to emerge and then he was going to this was the rumor become Donald Trump's vice president when Donald Trump is reinstated okay that that's it 1230 show up John F Kennedy Jr who died 20 years ago is going to appear so Yesterday, they had a couple hundred people who apparently showed up with umbrellas, flags, and signs to wait for the late John F. Kennedy Jr. to appear. 12.30. It was supposed to be at 12.30 because that was the time President Kennedy was shot. So a couple hundred people show up. They recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, The crowd kind of lingers, you know, waiting for this to happen. And, of course, nothing happens. And then, you know, a few of them... Then after a while, they just kind of disperse. And again, you had probably more people watching just to watch who was going to show up for this thing than than actually showed up believing this was going to happen. But this was the example Brian Williams was giving, and they were mocking these people, going, who who are these crazy people? And then making the argument that the people that showed up at Dealey Plaza yesterday, that's essentially a representation of all the conservative, Republican, or moderate voters who chose not to vote for the Democrat candidate. Well, obviously, that plays into their template, and and that's sort of ridiculous. But it does raise this kind of larger issue that's out there, and that is, who are these people? I want to open up the phone lines. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Clearly, there is, clearly, there is a fringe, and it's a really, really fringe group that, that's out there. But who does, I mean, if, if they got a couple hundred people that showed up 
you know, in Dallas, Texas yesterday, waiting for the emergence and the return of the late John F. Kennedy Jr. It, it do makes you wonder, it does make you wonder what what people are, are thinking. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who are these people? And by the way, it's a really small number overall. Now, you say, okay, maybe a couple hundred people showed up. Well, that, that's a couple hundred people. But, you know, we live in a country of, you know, how many, you know, hundred million, hundreds of millions of people. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who are those people that showed up at Dealey Plaza yesterday? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, Melissa Barclay, did you see this story about the supposed return of John F. Kennedy Jr. yesterday? I did. Yeah, I did. I, I, you, you <laughs> it know, never happened. Well, when, mm. gee, what a surprise since he died in a plane crash 20 years ago. But it, it is, and this this is both on the right and the left, and it, what caught my attention is I saw this like out-of-control Brian Williams who last night just, just couldn't believe that Democrats lost in Virginia and, and were it was close to New Jersey. He was just lashing out, and his implication was that everybody that voted for Republicans must have been one of these people that would have showed up at Dealey Plaza. And, and of course, that's, that's just completely absurd and ridiculous. But it, it was interesting to me that you, you did have a couple hundred people who would buy into some weird internet rumor that a guy who's been dead for 20 years is going to reappear in Dallas, Texas. I mean, we, I just, I don't get it. <laughs> no. I don't. I, that's good. That's good I, that you when don't. When it was happening yesterday, I thought to myself, gosh, like, who would think that? Who would legitimately believe that John F. Kennedy Jr. would come back from the dead. Right. You know, and, and, and to, then, Dalla, to Dallas, Texas. Right, it, it, I, where I, his father was shot yeah, in 1963. I yep, absolutely. Don't, I don't get it. And he's coming back to align himself with Donald Trump. So when Donald Trump, is, this is the way this theory goes, yeah. when Donald Trump is restored as president, he's going to be the vice president. But who makes up this stuff? I mean, just well, anybody? Well, that's that, that's that's it. it and it's out in these. follow it? Well, I, see, that's the scary thing to me, that you've got this fringe, and I mean, it's... And, it is and, on the fringe, This right. really mm-hmm. fringe, whether it's right wing or or left wing that's out there that and and you get these people with these just completely totally crazy ideas and and yet still 100 200 people show up now my guess is a lot of those 200 or 200 people were just people that were there to kind of see who the other people were that showed up that could be you know, yeah, right at, curious just, you know, yeah. well, you want to see the freak show yeah you know and and no offense if you're one of those people that think John F. Kennedy Jr. was coming back from the dead yesterday, and I apologize if I refer to you showing up there as a freak show, but it is what it is. I mean, that's so just wh- how do you, you know, how do you clarify that then? If it didn't happen, do you continue to believe the fringe uh, well, news, the fringe things that people believe on the Internet? Do right, you continue to right, think that? Well, yeah, I mean, it, I guess because you, you figure, may, I mean, maybe these people, you know, it, it's like if you keep saying something, Sooner or later, you 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 might be right. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just right. You you can be wrong, you know, a two thousand times, and then all you need to be right once. And see, I I told you so. But I I just it's just a bizarre sort of thing it to is, me. And yeah. and of course, th- then people see what they want in it. Again, you know, you have. You know, like for example, like Brian Williams is pointing to that as this example of this is like everybody out there is this is anybody who's conservative is nuts. Which is no, you you've got. Left wing nuts. You got right wing nuts, and you had at least a handful of them that and showed the up. At, and then the people in the middle, a little bit, well, a little bit closer to. Well, you have most people who recognize that John F. Kennedy Jr. died, you know, twenty years ago in a plane crash, and he was not going to come back and make this appearance. Mm-hmm. And um, just saying. All right, I'm just about out of time. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's afternoon news.